This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, for the scripture reading this morning, would you all uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians uh, today. Uh, we're going we're to read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Would you stand? <clears throat> Verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and, and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there, are, there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Heavenly Father, we do come in the name of Jesus, again before your throne of grace. Lord, we look to you asking for enablement. Lord, we're thankful to have Your Word, to have it in written form so that we may pick it up and handle it and read it, meditate, study, share. But again, Lord, we want to acknowledge our dependence upon You. and We pray that You grant correct understanding and correct application. I ask that You enable me to speak and deliver the message You would have delivered and ask that You grant clarity and accuracy. And again, open all of our ears to hear so that Your words, Your truth, do not just fall upon our physical ear. But may Your truth sink deep into our hearts and affect us in such a way that our lives are changed. That just as our Lord prayed, that we are sanctified by Your truth. Your Word is truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
be seated. I wanted to uh, have Zach read the whole passage. Um, I don't think we'll cover the whole passage this morning, um, but um, we'll probably break this up into basically into three parts. Now, I'm using as as the main outline here um, a three-part division that um, I actually got from Gordon Fee. Um, and, and that is this. I'll just give it to you now. Like I say, it's probably not going to, we're not going to deal with all of it this morning, um, but uh, this will be where, where we're heading as, as we handle this passage. Um, that'll be in the first few verses, um, verses 1 through 3, um, will be the necessity of love. And then verses 4. I'm a place here, verses 4 through 8, going to be the character of love. I'm sorry, 4 through 7, going to be the character of love. And then verses 8 through 13, going to be the permanence of love. All right, so that's basically going to be the, that's going to be the general outline. Um, and the necessity of love, the character of love, and the permanence of love. Now, I do want to give us a quick reminder here. Let's back up for just a moment. We're coming off of a chapter here where Paul has been um, dealing with what uh, I said last week was more than likely uh, what we commonly call supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Uh, And I I told you there's some disagreement over that as to whether these do refer to uh, some kind of supernatural gifting or or not. But at any rate, that seems to me to be the case. But at any rate, it's certainly manifestations of the Spirit. All right, so Paul's coming off some instruction concerning the manifestations of the Spirit and um, how they are dispensed within the body. We, he uses the analogy of a body to describe the church. A body is made up of many members, but it is one body. So there is diversity and unity in a body. And that's what Paul is saying about the church. He's saying this this is the way it is with Christ's body, with the church. There's great diversity. And we talked about the different um, ways in which that is the case. Uh, certainly the gifts, which is what Paul is mainly dealing with there. So you have various kinds of gifts are uh, properly manifestations of the Spirit. Various kinds of manifestations of the Spirit. Yet... All of these work together for the building up of the one body. And then you also have diversity um, among the, the people, in, for example, in, in uh, ethnicity and social class. So, for example, Paul says back in chapter 12, verse 13, In one spirit we, will, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. And, are, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So, so Paul says, Jews, Greeks, and that includes everybody, because in, in their, their uh, way of thinking, uh, there were Jews and non-Jews. I mean, everybody else fell into the category of non-Jews or Greeks or Gentiles. So he's, he's including everybody there, saying the church is made up of every ethnic group. You've got diversity, but we all drink of the same spirit. So there's unity in the spirit of God. There are, there is a diversity of social classes. You have slaves are free. 
But, again, we're all made to drink of one Spirit. So there's great diversity in the church, and yet there's unity. And then Paul goes on in the rest of that chapter to show how the body works together for the edification of itself, building up of itself. And then, at the, the finish of that chapter, what, what we have uh, as one chapter today, um, he says this in verse 31. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, he gives an exhortation there, an imperative. Desire the higher gifts. That's defined as those gifts that, that build up, edify others. And he'll deal with that more. Um, again, I mentioned this last week, but verses 12 through 14 he is talking about manifestations of the Spirit within the local body. So this is going to continue to be the subject. And he's going to show that the main goal is to edify, to build up the whole body. That's the purpose in the manifestations of the Spirit. So he says, verse 31, even after all this correction because of their abuse, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. That is... You members of the body, you members of the church, should earnestly desire the higher gifts. Their problem wasn't desiring gifts. Their problem was understanding what the gifts were for. So he wants them to understand that the higher gifts are those that are most useful for the whole body. They edify the whole body. They're for the common good. So desire them, and I will show you, he says in the latter part of verse 31, I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, that, that brings us to chapter 13. Let me, let me say this about that last phrase. I will show you a, a still more excellent way. I think what he is not saying is here's a better alternative. You know, we, we've talked about the gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit, and that's great. But here's, here's a better alternative. Here's a more excellent way. I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. If he, in fact, if that were what he's saying, I don't, I don't think he would exhort them to um, pursue spiritual gifts, the higher gifts, so to speak, which he does in verse 31, and he does it again in chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So what, what is he saying? He's, he's, he's laid out this instruction about the manifestations of the Spirit, how they are to work for the edification of the body. It, it, is, a, it is instruction um, which also serves as a rebuke because of the Corinthians' misunderstanding, misapplication, because of their, their distorted um, use of the gifts. And so now he says, I will show you still a more excellent way. And I think... What he's saying is, now I'm, going to, now I'm going to show you how the gifts are to properly operate. You might say, how they are to be properly motivated. So I want you, he says, to desire the higher gifts. But, this has to happen a certain way. There's a more excellent way. And I think that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> There's a more excellent way than you Corinthians have been um, have been going, have been using the gifts. I've heard it said, you know, you, you can take a topic, you deal with a topic, and if you leave out the main thing, regardless of what the topic is, 
If you leave out the main thing, then all you have done is treat the topic superficially. I mean, you, you may have gone to great depths. You may have impressed a lot of people with your knowledge. But if you've left out the main thing, you've only treated it superficially. I think Paul is now getting to the main thing in the operation of the manifestations of the Spirit in the local body. That's what I think he means by a more excellent, excellent way. So, the focus of this part, this text, chapter 13, is on the absence of love within the Christian community in Corinth. Now, he's been dealing with that ever since chapter 1. He's talked about divisions in the church. He's, you know, some personality-driven allegiances to certain people. He's talked about sin. I mean, in forms that, uh, you know, we just shudder at. As though we don't, you know, do things uh, probably equally as bad. But he's he's talked about sin in the form of, for example, the incest in chapter five. Members in the Corinthian church visiting temple prostitutes, participating in pagan sacrifices. Those who engage in sexual immorality, those who abstain from sex within the marriage relationship. I mean, he's dealt with all manner of sin inside this one body, the body of Corinth, the, the believers in Corinth. So all, all along, what he's been doing is revealing a lack of love. There's a lack of love for one another. You think of things, for example, like eating the meat offered to idols and Paul saying, you know, what you're doing in exercising your supposed liberty is causing other brothers to stumble and fall and perish. There's no love in that. You may say, what we do is lawful, but Paul responds, it's not helpful. It doesn't edify. It doesn't build up. So all the way through, he's been revealing this absence of love in the Corinthian Christian community, and now he's going to set before them what it is, what it looks like. And he's not exposing, and I want to, I want to be clear on this as well, you know, just to help us, I think. I, he's not exposing a lack of love in the gifts, or the operation of the gifts. He's exposing a lack of love in the people. That's, that's where the love is missing. And it is essentially invalidating everything that they are doing. That's what he's going to go on to say. But what he's, what he's saying, the, the indictment here, is that you Corinthians do not have love. And the exhortation is love. Love one another. Love one another. That's what the body is designed to do. That's what the gifts are for. They are to be expressions of love. So that when we come together, our concern is the welfare of each other, the building up of the body, the common good. It is to love one another. Now, let me just one other quick note here before we jump into chapter 13. Because if you're reading a King James Bible, then you know that you have the word charity there. 
So I just I, I just want to point out I'm, I'm not totally sure uh, about I mean I have suspect I, I, some reasons, but I'm not totally sure why the translators chose to use that word. But but the Greek word here is agape. It's, it's love. That's the idea. Love. Um, charity usually. Um, connotes some kind of um, maybe loving act, you know, like giving food or money to the poor, but it's just kind of a, a, a single um, single act of, of beneficence. Um, the idea here is love. And even in the uh, King James Version, it is, it is consistently translated love in the Gospels. The same word, agape, in other places, but... Uh, but for some reason here, they chose to, to use the term charity. So, just want to point that out. It's the Greek word for love, strong um, affection, strong kind of love, agape. Um, so, this is the same kind of love, for example. Uh, Jesus uses the same word when he's talking about us loving one another. And this would be the mark of disciples. They'll know you're my disciples because you love one another and so forth. Agape, love. And this is... The mark of a Christian. All right. Chapter 13. Now Paul begins to make his case um, concerning their, their lack of love. Now he's going to use some, some of the first examples he uses here. Uh, the, the, he's not just pulling these out of thin air. and these are not, This is not an exhaustive list. Tongues, prophecy, understand all mysteries and knowledge, all faith. You know, it's not just random. He's using things that, that they are, um, that, that have been a problem in this church. And you may recognize some of this, um, as we move through here. But tongues, for example, this, this is a main, uh, a main part of what he's dealing with here in, in chapters 12 through 14. Their, their, um, abuse or misuse of the gift of tongues, that particular manifestation of the Spirit. So he says, first of all, in verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I and if I have a prophetic have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So let me let me take a look real quick at each one of those uh, examples, and then we'll kind of go back over them. Um, the, the term tongues here just means languages. So Paul is saying, if I speak in the languages of men and of angels... But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, why does, what's he talking about? Why does he pick that? Well, again, probably, probably this is one of the issues raised by them in their letter. If you remember, we, we talked about this quite a bit. Early on in the letter, Paul is addressing problems in the church that were reported to him. Uh, particularly out, uh, from those of, from among Chloe's house. Then he moves from that to dealing with issues that they had written him about. And we, we looked at those one by one. These are probably examples, uh, again, of issues they have raised in their letter to Paul. But if not, at least these are issues within the church. In other words, they are practicing um, what is at least in their mind 
languages of men and of angels. That is angelic beings. Now, were they literally speaking um, languages of angels? Well, I don't know, and Paul doesn't say, and I think what he says here doesn't require that they actually were. He's saying, if I do this, um, and so forth, etc. But it doesn't necessarily require that, but I, he's definitely a reference to um, the manifestation of languages in the church, and we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, as we go, because he's going to deal with that quite a bit. Uh, and I know I haven't even defined that yet, but um, we haven't got to that point, so be patient. Um, but Paul will deal with that more in chapter 14. But the issue here is, Paul uses it to make a point, if I speak in the languages of men, that is common languages like you and I speak and other people speak, English, um, Spanish, whatever it is in Paul's day, of course, Greek, Hebrew, um, Aramaic. If I speak in the languages of men and of angels, which I think would be a reference to um, what we commonly call unknown tongues, that comes from the King James Version, and uh, that's described there in, in verse 2 of chapter 14. Paul says, even if I do these things, legitimately, in other words, they're real, they're genuine, I not only speak with the languages of men, but I also speak with the languages of angels, even if I, if I do that genuinely, but, but have not love, it's just noise. And if I have, the second one, the second example he uses, if I have prophetic powers, or if I have the gift of prophecy, your translation may say, something to that effect. And again, it's, and have not love, it's, it's, it's vain, or it's, it's useless. Now, prophecy, again, Lord willing, we'll get to talk more about it. Let me, let me give you at least a description. This may not be necessarily a, a definition, but it's a good description of the purpose and philosophy of, of uh, prophecy. And this is chapter 3 of verse 14. The one who prophesies. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people, here it is, for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Or you could use the word comfort there. So, so prophecy has, has this intention. This is how it functions. You speak to people for edification or upbuilding, encouragement, and comfort. So that, that's at least a, a biblical description of the purpose of prophecy. Now Paul says, if I have all prophetic powers or the, the gift of prophecy, that is, if I just operated in the gift of prophecy perfectly and in a powerful way, and yet lack love, it's nothing. And again, he's just giving kind of a, a hypothetical, if this is so, because this is what they're claiming. They're claiming to operate in these gifts. And he's saying, even if you do it, you, you must have this element of love. And again, he goes on. Next example. And understand all mysteries. I'm still in verse 2. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, that's probably um, two ways of saying the same thing, or at least there's going to be some, you know, some overlap there. And again, he's, he's not pull, just randomly pulling these things out of the air. These are things that he's been dealing with early on. Uh, he speaks of, of uh, mysteries revealed by God. And he just says to them, again, if you understood all mysteries perfectly, 
And you had all knowledge. I mean, you didn't need anybody to teach you. Even if that were the case, even if that were so and it was genuine. And he's going to go on to say, yet you lack love. It's essentially empty or vain. And then the next example is all faith. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains. So even if you had mountain-moving faith, faith that could remove mountains. And again, possibly uh, they're claiming this kind of thing. Paul says, even if that were the case, you need this element of love. It must be there. Now, no doubt, um, by the way, it's always interesting um, to see uh, echoes you know, of the Lord's teaching. And there's no doubt that, that Paul has um, the Lord's teaching in mind here. For example, from Mark 11:23, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And so Paul says, even if you have that faith, it is necessary to have love. Love is... A necessity. Now, love, three things here. Love gives the action significance or or meaning. And I want you to notice again, it, it has to be present in the person. We're not talking about the thing. Like sometimes we, we, we think that way. You know, a loving act. Well, that's all right, but... What makes a loving act, what defines a loving act is that the person is loving when they do the action, right? When they perform the action. It's not as though you can just throw something out there. You know, that's a loving act. And, you know, then over here, you you know, maybe you have a hateful act. It's what's inside us that makes it so, one way or the other. So notice Paul's language. Um, if, if, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels... But have not, that is, if I have not, if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not, and again, it's I have not. If I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, and again, it's but I have not love. So you see what he's saying? If I do these things and the love is absent in me, that's where the problem is. And that's what he's implying is the problem in the Corinthian church. Absence of love among the people. Love is what gives the action significance or meaning. Again, look at verse 1. If I speak the languages of men and of angels, so, so he's talking here about speech, something audible, something heard. I communicate with language. But, even if it's the language of angels, he's obviously, again, making reference to something supernatural, a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit. And we talked about last week how it seems in the mind of the Corinthians that was all that was necessary to define spiritual. They, they, they use of themselves, and Paul uses of them, uh, sarcastically at times, the term spiritual ones. They saw themselves as the spirit, the spiritual, the spiritual ones. And 
the way they define that was by being able to do certain things. So, we speak with tongues, we're spiritual. We speak with the tongues of angels, we're spiritual. And Paul says, well, look, even if you do speak with the languages of angels, you're not necessarily spiritual. Because if you lack love, it empties your speech of any significance and of any real meaning. And the way he says that is this. I'm, and any musician understands this quickly. <laughs> Probably anybody else too. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I remember one of my cousins learning to play the drums when he was a teenager and my grandfather saying that that wasn't music. <laughs> Hank Williams, used, Hank Williams Sr. used to say, drums is for parades, boy. <laughs> of course, he used them on Collagia, you know, because you kind of had to have the effect. Native American effect there. But the reason they would say those kinds of things, there's some truth to it. Some, you know, and I love drums. I, I like making music with drums in, in the music, mixed in. But I understand why people would say such a thing, because you can't play a tune on the drums. I don't care how good a drummer you are. You, you can't bang out a, a tune. Now, if, if you know what you're doing, you can pick up a guitar or a harmonica or, or get on a piano or whatever it is, and you can pick out a recognizable tune. But just to clang a cymbal, just to, just to hit a gong, you know, you, you've not made some sound that, that has a particular meaning necessarily. That's what Paul is saying. You, you, you can speak in the languages of men and of angels and of angels, but if it's void of love, the, the melody and the harmony is gone. All you've got is a noisy cacophony. There's, there's no significance to it. There's no meaning to it. The main thing is missing. It's, it's robbed of its significance. And secondly, love is what gives a person significance. Verse 2, if I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing, Paul says. In the Corinthian church, they had a habit of putting people on a pedestal you know, because of certain giftings. Whether natural or supernatural. Eloquent speech. Knowledge. Wisdom. Worldly wisdom in particular. They were beginning to uh, pursue and value. And Paul rebuked them for that. But for them, it was, a, it was a reason for division. And some were saying, I'm of Paul. And some saying, I'm of Apollos. And some saying, I'm of Cephas. Because they saw those individuals as being something. Some of them saw themselves as being something when it came to partaking of the Lord's Supper. Instead of communion and unity and harmony, there were divisions among them, even in the very act of eating at the Lord's table. Because some of them were wealthy 
And they would come and they would eat and get full and get drunk while others close by didn't have enough to eat. There was no, no love. No love for one another. So Paul says, e- even if I have these gifts, even if I, if I have this prof- these prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all the... All the I's are dotted, the T's crossed, I've got all the questions answered. And I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I lack love. Paul says, I am nothing. So again, it highlights the fact that the absence of love negates the significance of the person in the, the body. The mark has been missed. I mean, it's like you fired at the target and you just, you know, you just hit a mile away. Love has, has to be present. Love has to be in operation. Again, Jesus said, this is how they will know that you're my disciples. Francis Schaeffer called it the mark of a true Christian because of Jesus' teaching. They'll know you're my disciple because you love. One another. You have love for one another. You actually esteem others higher than yourself. Their interests become more important, more important to you than your own. You lay down your life, like Jesus said, a true friend does. You lay down your life for your friends. Thirdly, there is no gain without love. Love is a necessity. It's what gives the action significance and meaning. It's what gives the purpose, uh, the person rather, significance uh, and meaning. In, in other words, you're ful- fulfilling your purpose and meaning as a as a b- believer, certainly. And without love, there is no gain. Now, this this may sound a little um, self contradictory at first. As a matter of fact, when we get into the characteristics of love, just a little further down, you know, we find, you know, love does not seek its own, right? Love does not insist on its own way. That's verse 5. And yet, Paul implies, even prior to going there, that, that there is something to be gained. There is, or I can say it this way, there is gain to be sought in a, in a right manner, in a rightful way. Look at verse 3. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned. Now again, I think, speculating of course, but it seems to me probably... The Apostle Paul has the teaching of Jesus in mind. Remember, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and wants to know what to do to inherit eternal life. And, and, and Jesus says, well, you know, here's what you need to do. Take everything, after, after telling him to keep the commandments and so forth, take everything that you have, sell it, give the money to the poor, come and follow me. Well, he wasn't willing to do that. But Paul says, even if you do that, even if I just give away all I have, 
And then he, he takes it up another notch, raises the bar a bit more. And if I give myself to be burned, it seems like he's just you know, trying to go to the ultimate sacrifice. And probably has uh, in, in view here the, the temple sacrifices, you know, the burnt offerings. You, you offer the best of the best, the quality animal. You give it as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so Paul... Uh, and, of course, Christ offered Himself for us. And so Paul has that in view and says, Look, even if, if I go so far as to give my own body to be burned, the ultimate sacrifice, I give away everything that I have, and then ultimately I give myself, but have not love. <laughs> Is it possible to do that without love? I think it's possible to do that without love. We, we have all kinds of accounts throughout history and in the news from time to time of people giving themselves, sometimes literally in the manner that Paul speaks of here. I don't know, you may remember the, the, the now infamous Arab Spring began with a man in Tunisia who burned himself alive. And Paul says, even if I do that and have not love, I gain nothing. So again, he's showing the, the emptiness of it. The fact that there's no value to it. The main thing is missing. The main ingredient, love. Now, here's what I find interesting here. He says, if I do that without love, I gain nothing. Oh, I think there's an implication there. He's saying we ought to be seeking gain. And we may have to spend more time on that. <laughs> like I said, you, on the surface you might think, well, that's kind of contradictory because, again, we're going to find out one of the characteristics of love is that it doesn't seek its own. Well, just to put it briefly for now because we're short on time. If the welfare of others, particularly the spiritual welfare and the edification of others, is what you consider gain, then it is right to seek that. And the only way you're going to seek that, like I say, you may give your body to be burned, you may give all your possessions away, but the only way you're going to seek the true spiritual welfare of others, that is their building up, their edification in Christ, is through love. And that is gain to a Christian. If, if you love and other people benefit from it, you gain from that. Jesus doesn't say that there's no profit in Christianity. He says, what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? In other words, he's saying there's no profit in doing that. But the implication is there is profit in losing the world and gaining your own soul. That's profit. And Paul wants us, the Lord wants us seeking profit. He wants us seeking the right kind of profit. And if, and if gain for you and me is the spiritual welfare of our brothers and sisters in Christ, then He, he wants us pursuing that. But what He's saying is that... It doesn't work out that way where, where love is absent. 
give, give away everything I have, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. That's the same as Jesus' parable. Gain the whole world, lose your soul, you haven't profited anything. I gain nothing. Now, in closing, real quick, I want to I want to want to focus for a moment away from this text to the to the ultimate example of this kind of love. And that is of course the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 7-11 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. And notice, we get an exhortation here based upon the person, the character of God, and the sacrifice of Christ. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Now, this is the kind of love Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 13. Has God as its source? Because it is essential to the character of God. It is part of God's own character Himself. Again, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. In other words, that, that is a central attribute or, or character of God, um, um, central to His character. And you can't turn that around, by the way. <laughs> We're not making deity out of love. We're just saying love is a part of God's character. Love is not God, but God is love. Verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. Now, John, in 1 John 4, to, to, to show, to demonstrate, to show God's expression of His own love goes right to the sacrifice of Christ. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So when Christ offered Himself up as a sacrifice to be burned, so to speak, it was a demonstration of His love. Love was not absent. Beloved, John goes on to say in 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's what Paul is saying in a different way. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. That's what he's saying in this whole epistle. Beloved, if, if Christ so loved us, then we ought to love one another. In this manner, God is love. It's part of the character of God. It's the ultimate expression of love. Of love um, is seen in Christ's sacrifice of Himself for us. Romans five six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. He goes on to say in verse 8, God shows His love or demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Real quick, 
just a final word of exhortation here, a, a word to Christians. I mean, this is what Paul is getting at. He, he wants us to imitate Christ. Being spiritual, those of you, you know, that have been here throughout the series know that that's, that's been a major part of this. Being spiritual doesn't, doesn't consist in, you know, having, having some kind of ecstatic experiences and, or, or you know, doing um, particular, um, exercising particular gifts or powers or something of that sort. First of all, it, it is the Spirit of God dwelling in you. It is being born again and having the Spirit of God dwelling in you that defines spirituality. And as we're seeing here in chapter 13, it is the love of God working in and through us. It is the person doing these things or, or, or um, gifts, functioning in these gifts, being filled with love. Love for one another. Because the gifts are not, the manifestations of the Spirit are not given for show, for ostentatious show. They're given for the edification of the body. So a word to Christians. Love one another as Christ loved us, right? Just love. Love. Pursue spiritual gifts, but pursue spiritual gifts for the edification of the body. That's what he means by the higher gifts in chapter 12, verse 31. Desire those gifts because you desire the growth of the body. You desire the spiritual welfare of brothers and sisters in Christ. So, lay your down... Lay, lay your life down for your friend. Exhibit love like Christ exhibited, exhibited love for us. And just in case there are non-believers in our midst today, a word for the non-believers as well. I, I don't ever like to take it for granted that everybody in the room is truly saved and truly knows the Lord. Come experience the love of Christ. Come experience the love of Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When we speak of salvation, we're not talking about an eternal retirement plan. We're not merely talking about walking beautiful streets and looking at pearly gates. We're talking about a true knowledge and true, a true knowledge of and true fellowship with the living God. We're talking about a loving relationship. Men and women like ourselves who have been separated from our Creator by sin, being reconciled to Him, brought into right relationship with Him, knowing and experiencing His love. The Apostle Paul calls the church to love one another because this is exactly what God has done for us. He has loved us while we were yet sinners. He demonstrated His own love for us, the ungodly, the undeserving. Because He is love. This is His very nature. He expresses His love in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul calls on us to express it 
as well to reflect it. And I, again, I say to the unbelievers, come experience His love. There is nothing, nothing else that can satisfy a thirsty soul. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Love is the principal thing. Specifically, you know, this is what we're talking about here in this epistle. In the church, in the local body, love. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. In everything that we do, let it be, let it be um, out of a passion, out of, out of love. Let it be motivated by love. Would you stand, please? I uh, encourage you again, if you can be here tonight, to hear uh, Jim McCarty. Um, please come, 6 o'clock. Um, he's going to bring the Word tonight. And, and he's also going to um, share a little bit about uh, the work that the Lord has them doing in southern Mexico. So, I'm eager to hear that. I like to hear what the Lord's doing, <laughs> uh, even if it's down the street, but also in Mexico. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Um, Brother Buck, would you mind leading us in a word of prayer, please, sir? And we'll dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.